talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Ted and Diana are in the newsroom. Will is on the board. Remembrance Day is tomorrow. Don't forget to wear a poppy and pay tribute to those who fought for what we have today. Here's Scott Thompson! All right. It is 3.09. It is Hamilton today. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Erskine on the board. Uh, Diana Weeks in the newsroom, along with Ted Michaels. And uh, Diana picking the song today, uh, and she thinks she's going to stump me here, right? Have you not heard this song? Uh, yeah, I think I've heard that song. What is that song again, Alicia? Fancy Like by Walker Hayes. Say it again, oh, louder. Fancy Like by Walker Hayes. Yes! It's like Tuesday Night Trivia right here on Hamilton Today. I think, like many, I call it the Applebee song because that's yeah. what he's saying in the song. Fancy like Applebee's. Ah, it's uh, in the Diana, Applebee's commercial. Diana, have you met my daughter, Alicia? Say hi to her. Hi, Alicia. Hi. She's saying the same thing, an Applebee's commercial. There you go. No, it's from TikTok, too. Oh, oh TikTok, okay. too. See, that TikTok, I didn't know. TikTok, too. Is that I think another there's one? a dance. There's a dance that goes with it, I believe. Yeah, yeah there, there is. is. Okay, see, what I'm in. I know. Like? Can we do a little bit of his now? It's radio. No one's going to see. All right, there you go. <laughs> I love it, Diana, when you try to challenge me like that. See? Although we are just so lucky that my daughter happens to be home today. Otherwise, <laughs> you would have had me. You would have had me down on the mat counting it out. Uh, simply because I'd heard it, because I know she has played it, but uh, no, I couldn't remember what it was. And yeah. once again, who was it? <laughs> Walker Hayes. Walker Hayes, there you go. <laughs> All right, uh, Diana and Ted joining us around the big round table coming up uh, after the 4.30 news. All right, another great day on Hamilton today. Hope you join in the fun. You can send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. And the phone lines are always open, 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. Uh, at least she went out the door, but she didn't put my tent back up. If you hear the dog bark or an echo, you'll know why. All right, uh, another jam-packed show. <laughs> Whenever the dog, that's not really the dog. That's just Will. See, I have a cough. People, people are people aren't even aware of what's live and what's Memorex nowadays. All right, uh, you know, and little the people to know. I've been back at the station for six months now, and we're just this whole home thing's all of us on. All right, let's move on. Brought the tent uh, with you. I did. Yeah, it's kind of like a Pee Wee Herman sketch. I just take it wherever I go. All right, let's move on, please. All right, new polling from Nano shows that a significant amount of Canadians want to see a change in the direction of our pandemic aid, uh, which is interesting because for the most part, uh, I think everybody was quite happy on how all of the political parties work together to get this stuff out. But then when's the best before date? When do we end all of this? Let's bring in Nick Nano's chief data scientist and founder of Nano's Research and with this now nick thanks for the time as always greatly appreciated it's great to join you and all your listeners so we remember when canadians were feeling quite supportive of all of this and and everybody was you know complimentary of all the political parties working together to get this stuff done when did attitudes start to change and now can canadians want to see this pulled back a bit well you know the interesting thing is i think canadians are fatigued with the pandemic you know remember Back in 2020, if we put the old time machine back in place, people thought that it would only last for about six months or thereabouts. And yeah. now we're back into 2021. It's it's November and it's still going on. And I think the fact of the matter is is that when we look at this new survey that we just released for uh, CTV News about you know 
two out of every three Canadians believe that uh, the stimulus should either end completely or be lowered. So right now, part of getting and putting the pandemic behind us is to start scaling back stimulus and for there to be some sort of normalization. Are you surprised that, uh, you know, two-thirds at this point want some reduction in that at this point? Are you surprised at those numbers so quickly? Well, I'm actually surprised, you know, 7% think that there should be more uh, pandemic government aid. So, you know, that's a little over one out of every 20 and another 21%. So think of it this way, about almost three out of every 10 Canadians actually think things should continue as is. But, you know, what's... What, what hasn't surprised me is that people know that the stimulus costs money. The government has already uh, done a fairly decent job. Whether you love or hate the Liberals, they were able to push money out the door and help Canadian enterprises and individuals, and, uh, and that everyone knows that it can't last forever. At what point does this become a political platform, uh, a political campaign message for whatever party, as opposed to aid? Uh, Because you said there's still a a small percentage of people that want to see more. We saw this with the minimum wage. You know, when the minimum wage, whenever we address, you know, the minimum wage rate going up, it's always about is it a minimum wage or is it something that's supposed to be a livable wage, which to me is two totally different questions. So, um, you know, at what point does this go from being aid to changing of political policy and the template of what Canada is? I think once the deficit numbers, if uh, they're not under control, there'll be more and more Canadians saying, come on, people have to get back to work and not be supported by the government anymore, because in the ideal world, as many Canadians as possible who want to work and can work should be able to work. So I think if the deficit starts to ramp up, this will make this, uh, what I'll say, political jeopardy for the government. And it'll probably be an opportunity, especially for a party like the Conservatives, which wants to be a little more uh, fiscally prudent and wants to transition back. So for the Liberals, there's a fine line to tread. Yes, they have to take credit and should take credit for what they've done. But at the same time, uh, people don't see super large deficits as something that should continue in perpetuity, but that they need to be controlled and, uh, and managed over a longer period of time. How do you think the political, and you've sort of covered this, but how do you think the political parties are going to sell this? Because this is a solid uh, group of people that say, all right, it's time to rein this back in. Uh, and, you know, and in some, it's favor, or some parties are in favor of this, some are not. So how will this be used as a political football? Yeah, I think the only way for the government to effectively manage this is to telegraph as as far in advance that you know every that at some point it's all going to end and there won't be uh, the same type of supports because they're not needed. You know, they so you don't see this turning into so you don't see this Nick turning into a conversation of uh, providing a livable wage or a, a basic income. Well, I think for the Liberals, they're going to want to do that because that's always been part of their uh, agenda in terms of making sure there's income inequality. But, you know, the thing is, is what they have to do is transition from pandemic support to whatever the new regime that they want to propose. But you have to remember, they're in a minority government. In order to do this, the good news for the Liberals is they're going to need the New Democrats, and the New Democrats is probably the one party that would be more likely to kind of support and engage the Liberals on having a having that whole idea of a living wage for all Canadians and kind of fighting in- income inequality. So the Liberals have political cover because they've, they've got a partner, wherever you want to call it, a partner or another party 
that's willing to probably support them on uh, on the transition from pandemic government aid to a, why don't we just call it a more generous regime to support Canadians. How do you think things are going to be different in the House once it gets back compared to what it was prior? Because, again, we had an election, uh, basically ended up in the same place, and we all know how Canadians felt about that and the cost of it for basically ending up in the same place. So will we get the same sort of parliament uh, in the next session, or are we going to think are we going to see a bit less patience this time? Well, I think there'll probably be a little less patience, but it's going to be like Bill Murray in Groundhog Day when he wakes up mm. and smashes the smashes the alarm clock every morning yeah, yeah. when he realizes he's trapped in a particular situation. I think for the Liberals, the fact of the matter is is that they they triggered an election because from a Liberal perspective, they said the House of Commons was not workable and it was toxic. Well, they're stuck with the same toxic parliament that they had before. The only difference is is that Aaron O'Toole is the leader. And, uh, you know, before when there were some problems, it was uh, it was Andrew Scheer. So it's the same situation. I think the Liberals are probably going to be a little less patient, and they'll probably want to reach out to the new Democrats in order to move their agenda forward. New polling from Nano shows that a significant amount of Canadians want to see a change in pandemic aid and how it is uh, doled out. Uh, Nick Nano is with us, chief data scientist and founder of Nano's Research. Uh, Nick, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. You too. Bye-bye. Uh, let's bring in Alyssa Freeman, PR and pop culture expert, and talk about a whole pile of things that uh, we always seem to change as soon as we get her on the phone. Alyssa, thanks for being here, and thanks for being so nimble. Uh, always love having you on the show. I'm always nimble for you, Scott. You should know that by now. You are, because I throw things at you, and, and off you go. All right, here's the one I'm going to throw at you today. Green Party leader, uh, Anime Paul, steps down. Now, we had heard, obviously, this was coming, but this makes it official, officially sent in her notice of resignation. Not only that, but bailing out of the membership with a party. And what else I found interesting, she doesn't give up, or she doesn't um, uh, rule out going to serve in some other way, which I'm thinking in the form of another political party, whether it be the Liberals or the NDP. What are your thoughts? on this party and, and where they find themselves now. They are an unmitigated disaster. Yeah. That's what the Green Party is, honestly. What power do they have? What do they actually provide Canadians with? What's the ROI to us? I mean, honestly, at a time when climate and environment are such yeah. hot topics, why aren't they better positioned? Why can't they get their act together? Because I have to tell you that there was a lot of young people that were looking to the Green Party as an alternate to vote for because they're just tired of the, you know, the regular sort of two or three party yep. system, uh, as the case may be. So here you have a party that had, that really was just kind of been sitting in, you know, sitting very pretty, sitting in the catbird seat because they were concerned about the one thing that our young people are concerned about yet. You know, when th- bad things happen to a person or to a company um, in, in the way that, you know, sometimes affects them personally or organizationally, often, especially corporately, Scott, you do it to yourself yeah, and politically. And that's what the Greens did. They did it to themselves. They decided, oh, we're no longer going to be behind this leader. There was a faction within the Green Party that just d- decided to abandon Annamie Paul. And she had to live through that. She had to live through that through the what is it, eight weeks of the election. Um, she had to, you know, suffer the consequences of, of uh, being with a party that obviously didn't support her. And yet, when we saw her on the um, on the debate platform, 
I think you'll agree. She did a great job. I mean, you yeah. know, the woman yeah. knows her stuff. Yeah, whether so, you and, uh, believe in her politics or not, she's certainly a strong... Sorry, yeah, she's ahead. certainly no, no. She's certainly a strong leader, whether you like her uh, politics or not. Um, has has the Green Party missed the train here? I mean, they were a one trick pony. Uh, it was all about the environment. Now, you know, even the Conservatives have some sort of environmental policy. And what people were looking for with the Greens is what else do you got? And as soon as they went looking there, that's when the wheels found uh, fell off. It it seems it really is a one. Uh, you know, a one-issue party. Well, you know what? Honestly, when you eat your own, that's one yeah. thing. And if you're going to be a one-issue party that has absolutely no backbone and is more, con- you know, concerned with your, uh, you know, who you like and whether you like them or not for a leader and whether they align with every single one of your principles, then, and, and I mean, for a party, honestly, that's operating on a shoestring is a little bit may not in Glasgow right now for the climate conference. Yeah. So if she's yeah. there, they've got yeah. money somewhere, as opposed to it, crying poor all the time. I think, you know what, the, the, the Green Party either has to disappear or they have to have a strong reckoning in, to decide who are we, who are we going to be, and how could we be better to serve Canadians, not just our own self-interest. And you have to wonder, um, you know, again, whether you agreed with Annamie Paul or not, she was she was a solid candidate, well-educated, uh, well-spoken. I mean, who are they going to find that's going to to do that for them? It, it's going to be it's going to be a tough search. I don't think Elizabeth May ever wanted to step down. I think she stepped down and thought, you know what, I don't like being out of the limelight. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe and I think that was also I think that was also a bad move for the Green Party. Uh, Elizabeth May has passed her, her, you know, her best before date. You know, God bless her. She's the origins of the party. Uh, but people have moved on. And by linking her herself to the group that got rid of uh, Annamie Paul, well, she's kept her distance, but she certainly hasn't uh, gone to Annamie Paul's defense. Uh, she is now part of that, you know, the wackos that are left. And I think that was a bad play in pulling her back out. And they should have moved forward. And instead of backwards and and i think there's um i think there's a steep price to pay right now especially with all the other political parties having some sort of policy on green they have no clout whatsoever right now i don't think canadians care about them i don't think they care enough about canadians and they have to uh they have to totally do a complete 180 as to who they are what they stand for and if they're going to stand for anything get behind your leader so where do you think she's going to end up Where do I think she's going to end up? She'll get a job somewhere. I totally think she'll find a job somewhere. Maybe somewhere, uh, you know, maybe more on climate. You know, there's lots of... What about back in politics with the NDP or the Liberals? Oh, I think enemy... I don't know. But if I was enemy poll, forget it. I've done my political thing. I've learned a lot. I've been thrown into the ring. I can certainly handle the best of the best and the worst of the worst. Give me something else where I can actually affect change with a team around me that actually wants to help me do that. But the thing about it is, Scott, is that the next job that she takes, so if the same behaviors repeat and that, you know, her team internally doesn't want to support her or the board or Mm. whatever, you know, that's going to tell the tale. So she has a chance to rewrite her narrative, and it'll be interesting to see where she ends up. Good point. Alyssa Freeman with his PR and pop culture expert talking about the Green, uh, the Federal Green Party and Annamie Paul uh, officially handing in a resignation and stepping back from the party. Alyssa, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. 
And you too, Scott. Always a pleasure. It's Hamilton Today. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Erskine is on the board. And Diana Weeks, Ted Michaels in the newsroom, making their way around the big round table to talk about the pressing issues of the day. And I think that's the first time we have ever played Bieber on the radio. Is that accurate, Will? Uh, Once before to torment a guest. All in good fun. <laughs> While you're tormenting me, how's that? Yes, you're, yes. All of you Biebs haters, my goodness. Oh, I don't hate We gotta Biebs. support the local Stratford boy. Why? He's from here. So? He's talented. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to jump in with Diana here on this. People have trashed Bieber for far too long. Thank and I think you. it's a little bit of that. That little the, we, we tend to do that. When a Canadian starts to get you know kind why? of popular, no, we no, need to no, 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 no. Why? No, 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 no. <laughs> when, when somebody... I'm not going to say it because I'll... I, no, I'll, he makes no, good you can say it. You're retiring, Ted. You can say what you want. No, I can't. <laughs> is this about what you no, did to my December car 50, in the parking lot, Ted? This is one of the rare times I actually didn't say anything. I got to get my app <laughs> shut, so... Uh, you know, uh, you know, everybody you talk about the, you know, the it appears to be a generation gap here, and uh, like I'm siding with Ted. I guess that's where I am. Thank but, you. You know, it, it seems that um, people are complaining that everybody piles on the Beeb, but I think the Beeb does a lot of this uh, himself, and and I can just think of one little bit when the Beeb, after really not doing anything for years, finally gets a Grammy nomination. Instead of being thankful for it, he complains that he's in a pop category and instead of a rhythm and blues category i don't even want to go there with ted but to me i think that's why people are going like come on i think that he was just trying to say what you know was being said a lot like for example little nas x was saying similar things about how he was wanting to be in the pop star category but he was, you know, typecast into the R&B category. And I think Bieber was just trying to kind of say the same thing, that it doesn't have to be that way. It's about the music, regardless of, you know, skin color, culture, that kind of thing. Bieber, That's what I think it was more about. Bieber is not but R&B. Just Please. R- yeah. Bieber's yeah. music. Yes. That was R&B. That album no, that he released. No, no it's not. Oh, it's a white version. No. It's, it's Pat Boone. It's ah, Pat Boone ah, doing uh, Little Richard. That's what that oh, is. Let's be sorry. serious. Yeah, absolutely. I feel up. like I have no one that's agreeing with me here, so it's I'm just going to stop. No, it's okay. It was there. It was all over this. All uh, right. Enough of... You it's see, okay, this is yeah. gone. This has gone away from the actual food product to the man's recordings. That's not where we want yeah, this to go, Yeah, are the good? Because that's all that matters. So, yes. Uh, will a Bieber bit now make you love the Bieber, Ted? No. Ted doesn't like Tim Horton's donuts anyways. He's a donut snob. Yeah. He's said it many times. That's oh, right. That's right. Oh, he's, he's like into the big monster donuts now. Granddad. Right, the... right, Ted? Wow. Yep. Yep. There you go. Yep. So, uh, Diana, you're all over the Bieber bit, though. You think this is a great idea. And I let's be honest, nice. this is... This is Tim Hortons trying to, you know, skew a younger demographic than uh, the people that are, well, I'll leave it at that. Uh, I was going to use Ted's name there, and that's just not nice. <laughs> so, so do you think this will work? Do you think it's a good idea? Do you think it will? more kids will go in to get a Bieber bit? Like if you're going in with mom and dad, uh Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't I don't know how that would work. I like the idea, but I just, I think Timbits are pretty cool on their own without Bieber. Like, oh, I yeah. feel like <laughs> yeah. kids are like, you let's get some Timbits. Like, you know, 
I mean, I don't know. I don't know. And these are, I, we should clarify, these are not called Bieber bits, which I think is the far better name. <laughs> I would have gone with the Bieber bit, but they're called Tim Biebs. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Uh, does anybody, apparently there's going to be a series of flavors around the Tim yes. Biebs. Does May anybody st- know what they are? Yes. Chocolate white fudge, sour cream chocolate chip, and birthday cake waffle. <laughs> So here's what I want to know. Like I think I only an R&B artist would eat that. I am in a I am a big fan of the birthday cake Timbits at Tim Hortons. But how are you going to differentiate between a birthday cake Timbit and a birthday cake waffle Timbit? Like, is there a waffle specific taste? And when you see all it? the big, when you're at the Tim Hortons and they're just getting the big thirty pack and they're throwing them all in, how do you tell which ones are the bits of Bieber and what's are the bits of other people or other the Tim other Biebs flavors? Have I guess. Tim, the, the Bieber bits have tattoos. That I like. That is a great idea. They're wearing a Drew hoodie. Yeah, they come, see, that would be perfect. You make a Tim bit, oh. and then you take you put like a chocolate hoodie on it. Yeah. They should have frosted tips as well. Yeah. yeah. See, you know, we should be down at the R&D at the Tim Horton place. I know. I'm telling you, where are we where are we The R&B our... R&D? <laughs> okay. So, uh, Diana's in. Ted's, are you going to eat any? Are you going to have one of these? Or are you just going to? Nope. He's going to let them go stale in the box. And, yep. Will, are you going to have one? Uh, I'm, I'll eat anything with a, you know, from a Timbit up. It doesn't matter to me. Will, are you in? Yeah, I'm in. And I think that my the market is partly me, too. Like, more closer to 30, curious. And, yeah, all right, let's try the novelty food. Yeah. 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 And, and you know, because clearly Beeb needs the money, doesn't he? Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, that's it on uh, on the Bieber bit or whatever it's called. Uh, <laughs> we're talking we're talking about a fourth wave here or the fourth wave. I don't know if we're in it or half in it or I feel like I got one foot into the bed and one foot out of the bed here. Now, we got to remember all of this was predicted, the modeling way back when, that as soon as we started heading in and we started re- releasing uh, restrictions a little bit, that we would start to see this. So uh, it is predicted. Are you concerned, Ted? No, but I find it interesting that the release that came out today, when it says Ontario is pausing the lifting of capacity limits in higher risk settings, including nightclubs, wedding receptions, strip clubs, sex clubs, and bathhouses. Scott, you want to weigh in here on that? Yes, thanks for throwing that to me. So there he is. He gets his big box of Bieber bits, and then he just lobs it right to me, and I'm supposed to catch them all. I'm just saying, I find it, you know. I was too busy coming up with a line after what you were going to say about all of this. You know, you bring up a valid point, though, that because people, when because remember way back when, when they were opening things up again, yep. they were saying that, you know, here's the long-term plan. By the time we get to January, hopefully the kids will be in their vaccination process because it'll start hopefully in the next month or so. And then in January to March, we're going to be in a completely different scenario. And they started talking about dropping everything. And again, you know, when they said it, everybody's like, well, how can you, what happens? It's like, these are just projections. They're just goals that you try to, to get to yet again what we're hearing is well you know i think one of the i got a press release from uh one of, it might have been the green party saying you shouldn't be saying all of this and then going back bah, 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 bah. but you've got to give people something to shoot for don't you well yeah i'm i'm i really don't think we should be concerned about this they kind of did tell us it was coming like the fourth wave yeah. not like the first so again if people you know and the majority, from what we're understanding, it's kids that are that haven't been vaccinated, which is obvious because they, it hasn't been approved yet. So hopefully between here and January, we'll we'll see more on that. Diana, you want to weigh in? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like kind of like you too. Like, I don't know what wave we're in and what, you know, what's the situation yeah. here right now or where we're supposed to be. But I definitely feel like if I don't know, maybe that's a good thing. Because when the second wave happened, we knew we were in the second wave. Like, it was non-negotiable. So I feel like I feel like the end is, is near. And I feel like the fourth wave, maybe just calling it that is just, you know, somewhat of a formality. And you know what? You hit the nail on the head here because we are going into this. We are experiencing this fourth wave as 90%, almost 90% fully vaccinated. So, I mean, that's a completely different scenario than when there's no vaccine available, honestly. Right. Take that, anti-vaxxers. Thank you, Big Round Table. Much appreciated, as always. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. You're uh, hearing a lot more news stories in regard to COVID-19 and numbers uh, creeping back up as uh, we saw the number today climb to uh, 454 uh, new cases while staying uh, pretty consistent for the last little while. We have been told uh, through modeling and such that this would happen in the fall as uh, obviously more and more things started to open up a little bit. And the good news, more and more of us are getting vaccinated, uh, which, uh, of course, is helping us through this fourth wave. Uh, where we are, let's find out. Jonathan Dushoff with us, professor of biology, McMaster University using uh, dynamical and statistical approaches to study the spread of infectious diseases, including COVID-19. Jonathan, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Yes, thank you. So we are seeing the numbers move or creep back up. Uh, as I mentioned uh, before, we certainly heard the modeling that this you know, was certainly going to happen as we head indoors. Your thoughts of where we are in, in your interpretation? So... We don't know where we are, and we're trying to be uh, cautious. We're trying to not overreact to small changes in the numbers. It takes time for policy changes and behavior changes and possibly weather changes to percolate through and affect people, and it also takes time for us to see clearly what the numbers are telling us. Um, What we're hoping is that things will continue to change gradually and that people and governments continue to be responsive so that we can keep monitoring the situation and and respond as appropriate. Um, I just learned a few minutes ago that the province has put a hold on some of its opening plans, which I think is very good news. Yeah, it was just that was my next question. Ontario government um, saying a, a few minutes ago that they are putting a pause on any future uh, movement at this, this time until, of course, uh, we see how this pans out. Uh, obviously, we've, we've heard of this through the first, second, third wave. Uh, Canadians are, are, are well-versed in what it's like to live through a global pandemic. Difference here, though, Jonathan, a vast majority of us are vaccinated. Is this mostly younger people, specifically those 11 and under, that haven't been able to get vaccinated yet? Um, so... Those are the largest single group of cases so far, and that's a good sign both in terms of how the vaccine is working and also in terms of our experience in terms of how sick people in different age groups get. Um, So I haven't heard anything in the last couple of days that would change the overall pattern. That said, the virus is evolving, and we do want to – one of the reasons we want to move slowly is we want to keep paying attention – to the possibility that it might evolve in a direction that would make the vaccines less effective. 
Um, are you concerned that it is the majority, those obviously we know that are unvaccinated, but not only adults, but those that, that simply are not eligible to be vaccinated yet. Um, what do you anticipate as we get hopefully to the end of November, this becomes approved for kids 5 to 11 uh, by Health Canada. How much could that change the trajectory here as we say head into January or February? So... There's two questions there. So let's, um, you threw me a little bit with January or February because COVID is very new. and We don't really know how it responds either to the physical weather or to our behavior changes, especially now that we've moved a little closer to normal. So I don't want to be too confident, but the potential upside of vaccinating the 5 to 11-year-olds is really large. We've seen in influenza, for example, that vaccinating school children can really dramatically change the dynamics in the whole population and specifically in the adult and older adult population. So there's good reason to be optimistic but not overconfident that getting a lot of shots into the arms of children could really put COVID back on the retreat. And maybe, you know, I don't want to say it, but... um, maybe be a big step in getting things really back to normal. Are these kids that are getting sick in this um, age group 5 to 11 that is not vaccinated yet, are they getting as sick or because they're young kids, they are not? Obviously, they can still spread it, but uh, are they becoming as ill? I don't want to minimize it. And it's been a pandemic. We've heard these horror stories and certainly um, we want to do all we can to avoid children getting sick. Mm-hmm. But COVID in young children has never, it's a serious concern, but it's never really been a pandemic level concern the way it has been in older people, right? I, if we just look at the children and if we maybe take a slightly longer time period for influenza, there's no big difference between um, the magnitude of health impact that you see in children from COVID and the magnitude of health impacts that we see in children from other viruses. That's not to minimize, that's not to say that we shouldn't be concerned about them, but it's not the same sort of, um, it's not calling for the same scale of response as the COVID health effects that we see in older adults. So, Jonathan, what's your biggest concern um, heading into the fall and winter, say between now and the holidays? My biggest concern. Um, I'm worried. I guess the biggest concern would be a viral evolution that would make the virus able to cause more illness or to spread better, even in the presence of the vaccine. That's the thing that would scare me the most. Um, another concern, I wouldn't say my biggest concern, is that um, we become overconfident. So yeah. I would like to see schools and hospitals doing more to clarify and to enforce um, their vaccine and masking policies. And I would like to see local and provincial governments doing more to regularize these and publicize them and perhaps mandate better practices. All right, we're not out of it yet. we got to keep up with the protocol. Jonathan Dushoff with us, Professor of Biology, McMaster University. Jonathan, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Thank you for having me, and be well yourself. 
Let's talk politics with Tasha Carradine, principal and navigator and a lecturer with the Max Bell School of uh, Public Policy, McGill University, and with us now. Tasha, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Yes, thank you. Hope you too. Uh, your latest column in the National Post, a political lifeline arrives for Aaron O'Toole, courtesy of the NDP. Uh, you're speaking of chatter between the Liberals and the NDP that there is or could be some sort of coalition or, or some sort of agreements made. Uh, the NDP and the Liberals flatly deny all of this. Uh, what's in this for the NDP? Why do they keep uh, propping up this government? And in the end, it's the Liberals that get credit for it all. Well, a couple of reasons. First of all, um, they didn't uh, increase their seat count. In fact, they got fewer seats this time around. So really, um, they don't have any interest right now in trying to, I guess, improve that score. They didn't do it last time. They also don't have any money. Um, fundraising for the NDP has not gone as well as for the other parties. So they're in a situation where they do have a balance of power. Uh, they do have some power they can wield. But they're kind of doing what they would have done anyway, which is, they are just going to go along with things until it doesn't make sense anymore. So we're talking the usual dance that is done in a minority government um, and probably a couple of budget cycles. 18 months is the average. And at that point, you know, uh, one of the other parties will pull the plug and say, we, we're not going to support you. And the NDP would be in a position to do that. But until then, they don't really have any interest. Even if the liberals do seal their thunder, they will take credit for it and say that, you know, that was uh, the things they got the liberals to do. You said something interesting. You said uh, improve their score. How do they improve their score? Because many were expecting, especially the polling, this election and the last one, you know, Jagmeet Singh was going to be the next big thing, and it never, yeah. ever materializes. Is it time for a new leader? Is it time for, although, you know, obviously he's he's done a great job for them, but just can't seem to move uh, the meter in any way. Where? How do they go forward with this? I don't think they're going to get a new leader. I think that Jagmeet Singh is going to have uh, quite a bit of rope, so to speak. Um, I think that he, uh, you know, the NDP is in a difficult situation because they really got squeezed last time because there was a, a polarity that developed between the, the liberals and the conservatives. And whenever that happens, the NDP gets squeezed because liberal voters who feared a conservative government or liberal NDP switchers or progressive, in quotes, voters who feared the conservative government could become a reality, you know, scuttled back off to the liberals. Um, they're not going to take a chance on the NDP. Uh, and that's something that the NDP, you know, continuously comes up against. They, they are always uh, facing that issue. They face it in Ontario as well, provincially. So what happened here was the result of that dynamic. The, the Tories started to rise. The NDP stock fell. What's interesting, though, is, you know, to your point is how do they how do they grow that? How do they change that needle? Well, one thing is if, you know, they they have, I guess, uh, more of an appeal to some of their traditional voter base, um, you know, union voters and uh, the progressive left as well. But unions have been you know very supportive of the liberals uh, of late and last election. So I think they really need to cultivate that base and say, well, you know, how do we get back to the roots that we had that base and also in Quebec, because that's where they lost a lot of ground over the last two mandates. So how does Aaron O'Toole take uh, advantage of this lifeline? Well, Aaron O'Toole is probably really smiling right now because no one's talking about vaccines. <laughs> so at least for today, mm. um, he's got a lot of problems with his caucus, uh, the caucus that's been formed, the the vaccine, you know, the, for the Liberties Caucus, as they call themselves, around the vaccine mandate. Yeah. Uh, and so he has to really focus on, and he did this, drill down on the notion that affordability is the issue and this 
alliance, coalition, whatever he wants to call it, puts that at risk for Canadians. It's something you're going to hear a lot coming back. It is a real issue, actually, um, you know, whether your perspective is that the coalition or this alleged coalition puts it at risk or just the Liberal government in general puts affordability more at risk. Affordability, inflation is up 4.4% this this uh, quarter. It was 4.1% last quarter. You know, it's growing. This is something that people will feel every time they fill up their car or go buy some groceries. So it's an issue that will not go away. And O'Toole has to, you know, show why the, the Tories would be better able to handle it than the Liberals if he wants to really make some headway. All right, can't let you go, Tasha, without asking you your thoughts on what is happening today with the Green Party. I guess we all oh, expected yeah. this, but officially resigning today, enemy Paul, and not only that, but yanking her card. I'm not playing anymore, and but yeah. also kept it open to maybe service in another uh, in another way. Could she go to another party? What are your thoughts on all this mess? I don't know what party would really would really want her at this point. Um, I think it's unfortunate for her. She did deliver, I thought, some very strong performances during the debate. She was. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she was she certainly has her principles, but unfortunately, the internecine fighting in her party, plus her really poor showing in her own riding of Toronto Center, I really sealed the deal, I think. Um, so, you know, uh, she lost twice. Uh, she's now out as leader. I don't really see other parties running up with open arms saying, hey, join us. Uh, so maybe she should go on to just other things. Uh, a strong leader, though, some may say. Uh, could that not be of use to another party? Um, it could be of use, but the problem is that um, she failed to get along with the people she had to within her party. Now, I'm, mm. you know, I'm not privy to all the internal workings of the Green Party, but um, the fact that, that, that things were so toxic at one point would probably give some people pause because they might feel, well, you know, we don't know the full story either. Uh, do you take a chance uh, that something like that could develop within your own organization? It's the last mm. thing you want. So, so I don't know. I think she takes the, she should take some distance from politics for a while, or she could also potentially, if she really wanted to, run at another level of politics, like municipally or other, where there isn't that level of party cooperation. So she'd be herself. She could present her own views, and maybe that would be a better place for her at this juncture. Um, if she ever wanted to return to party politics later, it would pave the way for that, too. Uh, we've got very little time here. What does this mean for the party? Is this just a group of extremist radicals, or is this a credible political party? It's got to decide what it is. I don't know if they're radicals. I mean, on some issues, you might say, like, their positions are definitely outside um, what a lot of people would feel comfortable okay, with. Okay, I'll, I'll say extremists. Okay. <laughs> but I think, I think that the Green Party has been very successful in other jurisdictions, especially in Europe. I think yeah. there's room for a Green Party. I just think that it needs to be a vehicle for more than just, you know, the leader as it was for Elizabeth May for a very long time. And, you know, it's got to figure out what it is, where it's where it fits in the Canadian spectrum of parties, where all the parties are really, you know, especially the Liberals and the NDP talking up the green green agenda. So. Tasha Kiridan with us, principal at Navigator and a lecturer with the Max Bell School of Public Policy, McGill University. Her latest in the National Post, uh, a political lifeline arrives for Aaron O'Toole, courtesy of the NDP. Tasha, thanks for the time. As always, be well. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Catch up on the news and information you've missed. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Uh, earlier on today, uh, confirmation Premier Ford holding a news conference, uh, moving ahead with plans for Highway 413, talked about the Bradford Bypass uh, earlier on in the week. Uh, another chapter in this uh, in the decades-long story, that is the politics of roads in Ontario. Let's bring in Marvin Ryder, a professor with the Root School of Business, McMaster University, and is with us. 
us now. Marvin, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. I'm great, thank you. Glad to be with you today. So I've said this a lot, and I may have said it to you, Marvin, over the years and such. What is it about we don't like building uh, roads here or highways? I, I remember very vividly, and I may have said this to you. I'm boring you. I hope I'm not. I remember very vividly 20 years ago, Dalton yeah. McGinty at a news conference saying, I am not interested in building any more roads in Ontario. And as a result, they didn't. Of course, there was transit projects there. But, uh, you know, that's only one part of the solution and, and certainly hasn't done much to help uh, the congestion what is it here do we you know more and more people coming in we had the, a housing guy on earlier in the week said we need like forty thousand new homes in the gtha every year why do we not like to build roads here can i can i get to that question and just come back to it in one second yep. so this whole thing begins with a simple premise that ontario is going to grow given canada's goals around immigration what have you the population of ontario over the next 25 years is going to grow by roughly five million people to a total of twenty million the problem is when i say that to you that five million is not going to be spread equally over the province in other words thunder bay isn't going to get a large number of those who st marie is not going to get a lot of those sarnia is not going to get a lot of those almost all of those people are going to locate in the gta or the gtha the greater toronto and hamilton area so how do we accommodate them and there's certainly a school of thought that says okay we're going to go up rather than out we want density we don't want sprawl and i get that and i fully understand that if i look around the city of mm -hmm. hamilton i look around any city for that matter there's often a lot of parking lots and other poorly used spaces where you could go up and build a twenty-story thirty-story tower Mm -hmm. However, when you look at what consumers do, consumers have choice, and a lot of consumers don't want to go up. They want to go out. They want their little piece of the world with a, you know, a green space around a house, a yard for the kids and the dogs and everything to play. So if you look at where people are choosing to live, they're losing, living in Mississauga, Brampton, Vaughan, and Scarborough. Now, those are four communities that sort of wrap around the core of Toronto, and even those communities, which were sprawling at one time, are choking on cars. So if you look at the car infrastructure, the road infrastructure, this highway that he's announced today, the 413, is one half of a ring road that would go around the city. So you've got the 401 that runs through the middle. You've got the Gardner that runs down at the waterfront. Then you've got the 407 that runs a certain distance north. Now go another distance north, and you've got half of the 413. It'll connect you over to uh, Highway 400, but that's where it stops for now. A future generation will likely want to connect it the other way around. Not a cheap prospect. That one half of the road is going to be roughly 60 kilometers going to cost you roughly today eight billion dollars don't take that number to the bank scott by the time we're done it'll be 12 i'm fairly certain of that uh and we have no timeline at this point this is the earliest possible we're just beginning the environmental assessments so just like when we tried to build the red hill creek, creek expressway or the lincoln alexander parkway you talk about it now you don't see it done for another 15 years but that's why doug is doing this he looks at those numbers and says i don't see how we can accommodate all of those people going up, we have to go out, and now let, let's let the world start fighting over it. Is this not a balance of the two? Because it seems it's always the fight of the extremes. It's like, no, we can't go, uh, you know, that's urban sprawl. We can't have that. We need uh, stacking us up in, in, in apartments in the city. I mean, is the solution not a combination of both of those? Because it's well, two different customers. It's two different, it's two different lifestyles, two different people. 
Right, and and you know I don't disagree with that comment at all. I, I often think we get the opposition from the two ends, and then really the ground is somewhere in the middle in here. Yeah. Uh, for some years now, Scott, many people have said that people who live in sub, uh, suburbs, like me, as we get older and the kids move away, and you're rattling around that big house in the suburb, well, we know what you're going to do. You're going to sell that house and move downtown, get an urban existence in a condo. I've heard that for 25 years. It doesn't happen like that. Most people yeah. who are out in the suburbs try to stay there as long as they can. They don't try to go downtown. And, of course, when you start talking about getting people to move downtown, there's a safety factor. There's, a, there's an amenities factor as it goes. Do you want to be downtown? So I, I don't know that there is an easy answer. And I think what Doug Ford is saying in his crystal ball, he doesn't see any way to accommodate the number of people we have to without starting to build the road. One other quick thing, you don't wait until the population is all there to build the road, yeah. or you'd, you'd even make things worse. You've got to build this kind of infrastructure, much like the LRT in Hamilton, before you really absolutely need it, because you'd never be able to build it if you have the density that deserves that kind of infrastructure. It seems the argument always is, Marvin, you know, if you build the roads, they'll just fill up and be congested. Well, you could say the same about a neighborhood or a skyscraper. As soon as you build it, they're going to sell, and then you're going to need more of them. I mean, that is growth. That's the reality. Well, and I'll repeat that. That is the reality. If you believe in the population projection that says we're going to add 5 million people, if you divide... Uh, is there by- some reason not to believe that, Marvin? Because, you know, uh, we've seen extensive growth in, you know, for the last several decades. Is there any reason not to think that won't continue? Well, I'm going to say no. Now, I'll be candid. I don't know if it's going to be exactly 5 million. Maybe it'll be 3.5 million. Maybe it'll be 6 million. You know, I don't know what the world's going to hold over the next 25 years, and maybe there'll be another pandemic. Who knows? But the thing is, it's not going to stop. And we need to plan today for the communities that we want in 2030, 2040, 2050. Marvin Ryder with us, Professor DeGroote School of Business, McMaster University. Marvin, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. I will. Thank you. Twice. Twice in one day. All right. It's not that I don't like the young lad. Okay, maybe it is. But I'm not supposed to. I'm an old guy. And again, for me, it goes back to that, you know, I got a Grammy nomination, but it's in the wrong category. I don't know. I'd just be happy to get a Grammy nomination if I was a artist uh anyway we'll chat about that and other things it is 551 it's hamilton today will is on the board i'm scott thompson ted and diane in the newsroom scott radley joining us now from the scott radley show you'll hear it right after us and of course columnist for your hamilton spectator scott how are you today doing great how are you i'm doing well you're gonna get the bieber bits you're gonna get the new uh you know i'm sorry that sounds really inappropriate (laughs) i think well they're called what are they called um Tim, Tim Beebs. Tim Beebs, yeah, they're Tim Beebs. But yeah, I think Bieber Bits a way better name, don't you? Uh, you know what? Uh, a little bit of Bieber. Are, there are so many things that I would say about little round items called Bieber Bits that I just don't even want to get walking down that pathway. You know, we've become too politically correct. Come on, get it off your chest. <laughs> I already have. People know where I'm thinking. Anyway, no, don't do don't do that because then I'll have to do the extra hour or two once you get canned. So no, don't do yeah, that. That's right. You'll be the one filling out the CRTC paperwork. It's your show. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I never thought of that. Oh yeah, it still is my show. Yeah, keep it closed there, Scotty. So, uh, so I, I guess this is a way for them to hit a younger audience, uh, younger younger audience, younger uh, customer. Do you think this I is going to work? No. 
Um, I mean, oh, no, wait a sec. Diana Weeks, she's like, like all over this. She's like me, and she can't wait to get a box of these things. So uh, there may, it may work as far as the packaging because some people may remember Flutie Flakes when uh, yeah. uh, yes. Flutie Flakes were, and, and they were just. You just flakes. want the collector's item box, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So they were just cornflakes. They didn't have some sort of special essence of Doug Flutie on them. They were just cornflakes, <laughs> but they had the box that was the thing. You, so maybe the Tim Biebers or the Bieber, whatever you called them, uh, maybe someone for the packaging might work uh, with a certain demographic. Um, I, I was thinking today, like, okay, so if we're doing this here in southern Ontario, I want to see what Starbucks without in Seattle comes up with. Like if they now serve croissants with pearl jam maybe oh yeah um, could start a trend here you know yeah bring in your local artists come up with something to to drag it in uh, you know nirvana chips i don't know what you could come up with but yeah there's there's some ideas here you could do we were talking about uh, around the round table because this was the pressing issue of the day for us clearly um about you know what does a beaver bit taste like does it <laughs> you know what is it <laughs> What? What does it, you know, does it, does it have a certain, and, and believe it or not, Ted Michaels had all three of them. There's going to be three of them. He, he had exactly what each one of them, uh, was. So he's clearly done the research here. Um, but we were thinking it might be cool if like, and I think Will brought it up, like you put a hoodie on the, on the, on the Bieber bit. So what you do is you take a chocolate, you take chocolate and you kind of make like a thing with a, it looks like a hoodie on it. I, I would think that the first thing is they'll be light and fluffy and generally inconsequential as you eat it. Um, now, Scott, that's not a nice thing to say. Too much. Saccharin. You're insulting all the Bieber fans out there. Yep, and, um, and yep. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what else. We, we'd have to think of what else would go with uh, with that one. But uh, uh, you know, I, why not? You know where they should have done this? Forget Tim Hortons. You know when you go up to the Rideau Canal in Ottawa during um, oh, I know what you're uh, going to say already. And they have the Killaloo Beaver Tails. Now, if you had the Killaloo Beaver, beaver Tails, now a Beaver Tails. A beaver tail. Now that's going to get you in trouble, Scott. That's going to get you in trouble way more than a beaver bit. What does a beaver tail look like? Well, it looks like a beaver's tail. Only it's now you just renamed it. I guess. I don't know. Does Justin Beaver have a tail? Not that we're beaver. I, now I can't. Now I can't even say his name. I'm all confused. But it is an. It is. Look, <laughs> I know that every place these days is looking for something to stand out from the crowd because there's a million different restaurants and cafes and i mean a million different cafes so maybe maybe it'll work i I think you and i clearly as we talk about this and probably ted uh not really in the demographic demographic they're after to begin with but as i say for the packaging alone maybe you'll get a bunch of people that will say yeah okay i'll give that one a go I don't think the beaver bits are going to be any different than the other ones. You know, the kids, you know, they're going to be saying, the staff's going to say, oh, geez, we're out of beaver bits. Oh, I'll just throw these in. Oh, the kids are going to yeah. put it in the beaver box for be good. They'll just be tattooed. That was another suggestion. Do they have some sort of tattoo on them or, um, you know, that kind of thing? All right. Uh, you know what? We have given so much publicity to Justin Bieber. <laughs> I hope uh, they're going to send a whole bunch of them to your They studio. better be uh, like a, better. Uh, a, a giant case of these things delivered to the newsroom uh, as soon as they become available. All right, Scott. <laughs> uh, this conversation will continue with a big glass of milk after 6 o'clock. Uh, Scott Radley from The Scott Radley Show and columnist for your Hamilton Spectator. As always, Scott, thanks so much. Have a great show. You too. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. So that's a wrap for ours. Thanks for listening uh, to Hamilton Today. Thanks to Will and Diana and, well, oh, yeah, Ted. 
the Bieber bit guy. Uh, thanks to all of them for contributing today. And as always, we leave it to you, the good CHML listener, to have the last word. <laughs> Bieber bits? You know what? They're probably going to... I think we saved our license there.